Recently, the New York Times ran an article. Here's the title of the article. America's mothers are in crisis. Is anyone listening to them? And as part of their research, they set up what they called a primal scream line. And they invited mothers across the country to call and leave a one-minute message. Hundreds of moms responded with shouts, with cries, with guttural screams, and lots of expletives. I listened to many of these messages. Here are a few. This mother said, I'm doing my sixth load of laundry today. This mother said, there's just so much talking Talking all the time, all day long. Words, words, words. So much talking. I just, I need no more talking. No more words. I need no more, no more. So much talking. I just need silence. Please, silence. (laughs) (laughs) This mom said, maybe I'm not cut out to be a mother. This mom said, all I hear all the live long day is mom, mom, mom. Mom, 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 ah! <laughs> and this mom said, I don't know how to feel sane again. I'm stuck in this position for God knows how much longer. Well, moms, it's okay to scream because God hears you. And it's my prayer today that you'll be reminded of this truth. You are not stuck, but actually you're in a position to fulfill God's purposes. We're continuing in our series that we're calling RE, R-E. We began with resurrection on Easter weekend. And then two weeks ago, Jason Crosby reminded us of the need for renewal Pastor Kyle and the student ministry urged us last weekend to seek revival, and I hope you're praying for revival. Our topic today is rededicate. In the Bible, the word dedicate means to initiate or inaugurate consecration. It's the idea of setting apart persons or things for God's exclusive use. Oh, there are many examples. Let me just choose one, Leviticus 22.2. Speak to Aaron and his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they, here's the word, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name, I am the Lord. In addition, the word dedicate refers to training up like a parent is to do, according to Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Now, if you put the prefix re in front of that, re means to return something to its original state, to experience again by repetition. Well, it's my prayer that God would use his word today to help mothers and all of us to become rededicated to his plans and his purposes.
We could state it like this, regardless of your role today, it's time to rededicate yourself to God's redemptive purposes. Now, while Mother's Day is happy for many moms today, for others, your mother is no longer here. Or maybe you have a rough relationship with your mom and you struggle when you go to Walgreens and you're looking for a card and they're all syrupy and sentimental and you're like, I don't feel that way. Or maybe your mom is sick and you, you wonder how much longer she's even going to be with you. Or maybe you're a single dad and you're hurting for your kids as you watch them struggle without their mom. Some of you, actually many women, have experienced the devastating loss of a child through abortion or through a miscarriage or through an untimely death. I think of my sister today, her first Mother's Day without her son. And there are mothers here who wish they didn't have kids. And I know that there are moms or women who would give anything to have a child. Others of you are grieving the direction your prodigal child is taking. Many moms today are gripped with guilt. They're swimming in shame because... Well, basically, they think, I'm not doing a very good job. And some of you are searching for equilibrium in your role as a foster mom or a stepmom. In addition, some of you are flying solo, and you're working hard to nurture your child's faith without the support of a child's, the child's dad. And a few of you are mothering a special needs child. Now let me be quick to say, if you aren't married or you don't have children, you are not inferior. Womanhood is not only about marriage and children. Your worth to God goes far beyond your marital status, or whether you have kids. You're making an eternal difference. I want to give a shout out this morning to those of you who are raising young children. You saw five families up here. There's many more. And some of you are battling bedtimes. You're not even sure if you can stay awake during this service. And you're wondering, when is all the whining going to stop? You're juggling schedules. You're running on emotional empty. And you, you feel like screaming. And many of you, this happened last night, you're living out Proverbs 31. You're like, some women are like, I'm not a Proverbs 31 woman. Well, I bet some of you are. Verse 15, she rises while it is still night. <laughs> No, it's not my intention today to add to your struggles as a mom because many of you are already overwhelmed. I don't want this sermon to cause you to scream. 
I read a study this week that was stunning, but I think it's true, but you'll be surprised perhaps. 93% of mothers feel burned out, at least occasionally. Well, I'm going to ask you, especially young moms, if you take a breath right now, I want you to hear some really comforting words. They come from the Good Shepherd. They're found in Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead, think of moms here, gently lead those that are with young. Oh, may you know the sweet gentleness of the shepherd as he leads you to love the little lambs in your care. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to use your mobile device. And we do have Bibles in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that as our gift to you. Let me set the scene. The people of God have been doing laps in the wilderness for 40 years. And they're just about ready to enter Wisconsin. I mean the promised land. (laughs) The generation which had disobeyed God is starting to die off. Remember, that was their punishment for disobedience. So they're gone. And now, generation next is on the scene. In chapter 5, God gave them the Ten Commandments. It's like a repetition for the new generation. But he wanted them to know he wasn't just interested in external behavior. Uh, Check out chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. When you come to Deuteronomy 6, so they're just perched right on the outside of the promised land, it might be surprising to you to know that God doesn't give them instructions on farming or on shepherding or on economics or how to build their houses or even battle plans. No, what is first and foremost on his mind, on Moses' mind, and on God's heart is the family's role in faith formation. I want us to see two requirements and then three responsibilities for parents. Number one, reverence for God. We see that in verses one and two. Now I'm in chapter six. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you, here's the word, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. That's not only your son, that's your grandson. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Jump down to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the beginning of the Shema. It literally means hear, or as we might say, listen up. It can also mean to listen intelligently, attentively, to obey. So the Shema 
is a declaration of faith. It's a pledge of allegiance to the Almighty. It was recited the first thing in the morning and when going to bed at night. It was the first prayer a Jewish child was taught to pray, and it was the last thing a Jew would pray prior to death. Now, the full Shema is contained in verses 4 through 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a call to live and to love God in order to, watch this, to leave that love with our children. It's been said that many Christians are functional atheists, living as though there is no God. Well, I would argue we're more like functional polytheists. We're living as though there are many gods to which we give our lives, our money, our time, our attention, our time to. Brothers and sisters, settle this. There is only one God. And he is totally unique. He's not some vague pantheistic force. And as such, we're called to reverence him. Look at verse 3. Hear therefore, that's the, the Hebrew word Shema again. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. It's one thing to learn something, isn't it? It's another thing to live it out. So when I'm careful to do There'll be harmony between my life and my lips. It's not enough to just know information. It must lead to personal transformation. Having baby dedications today reminds me of what happened one Sunday after a church dedication service for children. As a young family drove away from church after dedicating their baby, uh, the older brother was sitting in the back seat. His name was Johnny. And he cried all the way home. His mother asked him three different times what was wrong, and he wouldn't say. He just kept crying. And finally, the boy replied, well, the pastor said he wanted us to be brought up in a Christian home, and I want to stay with you guys. (laughs) Ouch, right? Listen, Don't be fooled, parents, grandparents. You cannot fool your kids or your grandkids. They have a hypocrisy meter. They can tell. They can tell if you really love God with all your heart. They like have a radar for empty religion. Someone said it like this. If you wish your children to be Christians, you must really take the trouble to be Christians yourself. So regardless of your role, make sure might be today, I hope it is today, that you rededicate yourself. You re-up to God's redemptive purposes. The first requirement, and this applies to all of us, is to have reverence for God. Notice, secondly, we're to have a relationship with Him. Verse 4 says, He is to be our God, the Lord, our God. He's personal. He's relational. Verse 5 continues with a challenge to love God with everything we have. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your 
might. You might be going, boy, that sounds familiar. Well, Jesus quoted that. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it's the greatest commandment. So our love is to be wholehearted. It's to pervade every aspect of our life because God wants our exclusive, our intensive devotion. That term, with all your heart, that phrase, is used 21 times in the Bible. Listen, and it always refers to our relationship with God. God alone and only God is to have primary, all-encompassing loyalty of our hearts. Notice the three uses of the word all. Do you see it there? All your heart, all your soul, all your might. And by listing the heart, soul, and might, there's nothing left out. The word might can be translated this way, with our muchness, (laughs) or to love him, not timidly, but with all that we have, devotion in our hearts, passion in our souls, and energy, the very energy of our lives. Verse 6 reminds us God's word needs to be in our hearts, not just our heads. Do you see it there, verse 6? And these words that I command you today shall be on your, say it with me, be on your, on your heart. One pastor said it like this, if you want your children to have a heart for God, you must first first get God's word into your own heart and then pour God's word into the heart of your child. So regardless of your role, rededicate yourself to God and his redemptive purposes. Write this down. Faith is both caught and taught. It's both. Now, let's look at three responsibilities for moms and dads. Number one, teach truth intentionally. Verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children. God's design is for parents to be the primary propagator of God's truth to the young disciples or disciples to be in the home. That phrase, teach them diligently, means to sharpen, to Teach incisively. It's the idea of going over repeatedly until the knife is razor sharp. It also means to use pressure to leave a mark in the mind or the memory. The word diligence speaks of exhibiting care and conscientiousness in one's work or duty. So listen, we're not just to throw out our faith as as an option for our kids that they can sort of maybe believe. No, we're to take it so seriously that we are to intentionally look for ways to precisely pass along what we are learning, which should be and must be reinforced by how we are living. We're to talk about God's word 24-7. The task of teaching our children and grandchildren is a never-ending, full-time assignment. You're like, I didn't sign up for that. Yeah, you did if you're a parent. Now, would you notice whose responsibility this is? Look at the clause again. You shall teach them diligently to what? Oh, it's not the church's job? Oh, it's the parent's job to do it. And the church comes alongside and we partner with you. But parents, it's your primary responsibility. 
First, we're to teach truth intentionally. That's the how. Our second responsibility is to talk truth relationally. Now, that covers the when and the where. Look at the last part of verse 7. And she'll talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And so we're to make an impression upon our kids by talking about God when we're just sitting around the house, when we're walking along the road at bedtime and in the morning. Here's the idea. We don't preach at them, but we reach them by showing how God relates to everyday life. Jesus did it all the time. He drew illustrations from birds and flowers and sheep and even pigs. So eternal truths are most effectively taught in the loving environment of a God-fearing home that is life-oriented, not guilt-driven. I like how Pastor Kyle put it last weekend. Change and growth must be awe-inspired, not guilt-driven. You can make a short-term change because of guilt, but not a long term. Now, notice this should be more than just getting them up for church once a week, but it certainly involves that. The basic idea is to capitalize on the normal rhythm of day-to-day life, leveraging teachable moments for the sake of our children. Man, I had mixed success at that as a dad, but I do remember one time when Megan, our youngest, was making scrambled eggs And she commented that the eggs are very fragile. And I said, I can't believe I actually said this because I think it was helpful. I said, well, Megan, those eggs are like our hearts. Our hearts are fragile as well. Our hearts are easy to break. Later, in that same conversation, Beth pointed out a verse we used to have over our kitchen sink, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your what? Your heart for it's the wellspring of life. So let's look more closely now at four natural and normal times to talk truth intentionally. First, mealtimes, when you sit at home. One of the best times to talk with our kids is when we gather for a meal. It's an optimal opportunity to have a focused discussion. Sadly, according to one recent study I read, less than a third of families eat meals together at the table. (laughs) But for those who do, 65% said having dinner together made their family closer. The second time is drive time when you walk along the road. Well, my guess is you're not out walking along the road doing your errands, right? You're in the car. One researcher offers this insight. Often the richest conversations, the moments of genuine intimacy take place somewhere else in the car, Say, on the way back from soccer at dusk, when the low light and lack of eye contact contact allows secrets to surface. Third, bedtime. Bedtime rituals can be a very tender time when our kids are open to discuss things they might not share during the busyness of the day. One summer evening during a violent thunderstorm, a mom was tucking her small boy into bed. As she was just about to turn off the light, he asked his mom, his voice trembling, Mommy, will you sleep with me tonight? The mother smiled and gave him a reassuring hug. He said, I I can't, dear. I have to sleep with Daddy. 
And after a long silence, the boy replied, well, the big sissy? Is he scared too? (laughs) Finally, morning time. And when you get up, listen, each morning, no matter how bad the day was before, it's a blank page. And so for you and your family to start fresh relationally, it's time for you to plant important seeds in the heart of a child. Just a few encouraging words, a hug, a prayer together can launch the day off on the right foot. So we're to show our kids who God is, not just in formal spiritual settings, but also in the unhurried, casual classroom of everyday life. Look for those teachable moments to make an impression. Listen, you're going to have to be intentional about it and then leverage those natural rhythms to live out God's purposes. When those times happen, gently introduce God's perspective by sharing a verse or principle from Scripture. So regardless of your role, rededicate yourself to God's redemptive purposes. Number three, transmit truth practically. Verses 8 and 9 show that the Israelites had visual reminders. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Well, many Jews took this literally. They would put passages of scriptures into little boxes called phylacteries and attach them to their foreheads and to their hands. They also attached mezuzahs containing Deuteronomy 6, this passage to the doors of their home. God's word, here's the application for us, is to be so central to your family's life that your kids think about God's word every time they turn around. They see it. They see it lived out in you. Here's the principle. Whatever you need to do to remind your family of God, do it. One day, Samuel Taylor Coleridge had a guest for dinner. This guest was an atheist, and during the meal, this atheist expounded the virtues of freedom of choice and how religion prevented people from being truly free. He was especially upset with how parents trained their children in the faith, claiming that kids should be free to believe what they want without any influence from their parents. Well, after dinner, Coleridge got up. He asked his friend to come outside, and they were going to look at his garden. Coleridge was known as an expert gardener. And so his guest, this atheist, was expecting to see beautiful flowers and sculpted shrubbery and flowering plants. Instead, there were weeds everywhere. Out-of-control vines, overgrown grass. And the atheist looked puzzled, and he said, what happened to your garden? Coleridge responded, well, I just took your advice. I I wouldn't want to impose myself upon these young vines. I just let them grow like they wanted to. Well, let's summarize. There are two requirements from this passage, reverence for God and relationship with God. Three responsibilities, teach truth intentionally, talk truth relationally, and transmit truth practically. Regardless of your role, rededicate yourself to God's redemptive purposes. Let's now consider some practical ways, some take-home that we can take from this message to cultivate the souls of our children and many of us are grandchildren. Number one, 
Got to start here. Evaluate what kind of example you are setting. See, it's not really that you should be an example to your kids. No, you need to change that. You already are an example. Here's the question. What kind of example are you? Number two, make dinner time a priority. If you're having dinner once a week together as a family, work at doubling that to twice a week. Maybe you're like, hey, we hit maybe two. Work at four times. Oh, and by the way, put the phone away and turn the TV off. Number three, read the Shema. That's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 with your family. Howard Hendricks used to say if he had just one sentence of advice to offer parents, he would encourage them to drench their minds and their families with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Number four, figure out your role with each of your children or grandchildren. Beth and I, some time ago, many years ago, read a very helpful article from Focus on the Family. The basic idea is, as your children grow, your roles grow as parents as well. I don't have time to explain it all, but here are the four phases. When they're born, those early years, those toddler years, those young years, you're their commander. And then, as they get older, you're their coach. And then like those high school years when you're wanting them to own their faith, you're like their counselor. And well, with our grown daughters now, we're more in the role of consultants. We, we only offer advice when we're asked. <laughs> Number five, see discipline as part of discipleship. This is so important. The root of the word discipline is disciple. In fact, it might be helpful to change your vocabulary when you're faced with a discipline issue, something you need to address with your child. Instead of saying, this is a discipline situation again that I need to deal with, it might be more helpful to just change how you think about that and say, this is a discipleship situation. You see, every discipline situation is a setting for discipleship. Number six, mom, see motherhood as your mission. In her book called The Missional Mom, Helen Lee writes this, moms need to explore the idea of calling and understand both the specific part God has given them and also, I love this, how the melody of motherhood fits into the grand symphony of God's work. That just may help you not scream as often. Listen, you don't have to be a perfect parent. There aren't any. God is looking for ordinary moms in ordinary circumstances who are faithful in rather ordinary ways. You see, God is at work. He's telling a story of restoration and redemption through your family. Never buy into the myth that you need to be the right kind of parent before God can use you in your child's life. Instead, learn to cooperate with what God desires to do in your heart today so that your children then will revere him and have a relationship with him. Several weeks ago, we interviewed Sasha and Sophia from Ukraine. And recently, I reached out to Sophia's mom. Her name is Oksana. She's still in Ukraine. This is her husband, Peter. He's a pastor. I'm going to read part of what she wrote, which reveals the heart of a mother 
And then I'll share a few updates. Dear Brian, my husband Peter and I are so grateful for all you are doing for our children and grandchildren. Our hearts are melting from all the love and care you provide for them. From the first day of the war, our biggest prayer was for the protection and safety of our children and grandchildren. The day they were trying to escape was one of the scariest for me. I was so afraid that a rocket would hit their car. As a mom, I worry so much for them because we cannot be near them and help. For the last 65 days of the war, now that number's higher now, Listen to this, moms, grandparents. Imagine if this were you. I cry daily because I do not know if I will ever see our grandchildren again. My heart is broken, but at the same time, I'm so grateful to God that he walked them out of our country. We do not deserve such love from God. He sent you and your church to care about Sophia and Sasha, Lucas and Emma. This is amazing. They told us that they never felt so loved before and that your church is so great. For us knowing, this hits you in the gut, that even if something will happen with us, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who care about our children, giving us peace. Thank you, and may the Lord give you and all your church members hundred times more what you wish. Peter and Oksana had a very frightening experience this past Wednesday when multiple bombs landed near their home in Lviv. They went silent for a while, and we found out the next day that they're okay, though Oksana experienced a major panic attack. Let me give you an update on Sasha, Sophia, Lucas, and Emma. Several weeks ago, they moved to South Carolina uh, for two reasons. One, to get involved in a Ukrainian church. Remember, Sasha doesn't speak English. And secondly, for Sasha's health, he has some breathing issues that happen from some chemicals in a job he used to work at. I was sad when they left, and I'm sure you are too. I didn't want them to leave, selfishly. But all gift cards and donations that have been given to them will be used to help them get settled now in South Carolina. They love the Edgewood family. They sent this note. Thank you for your faithfulness in supporting us. Even though we are far away, we feel your love and care. Mostly I wanted to thank you for your prayers because we still need miracles from God and we continue seeing them. I can't wait to give you another amazing update. Only God can do this. In God's providential provision. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all the details. If you want to dive into that, go to my Facebook page dated April 30th. But here's the short story. A woman named Holly, who's here today, her and her husband will actually be joining at the end of the service. Um, Holly who um, attends Edgewood with Kenny, is a pharmacy tech at an area Hy-Vee. So she recently attended a pharmacy association meeting, found out that the president of that association is from Ukraine. Her name is Luda. This is a picture of Luda. She lives in this area. So Holly went up to Luda after the meeting and learned that Luda was traveling to Ukraine in just two days 
and that she was going to take some medicine with her. Well, Holly contacted me. I met with Pastor Dan, who handled all the logistics so that Edgewood bought enough medicine to fill a large suitcase. Hy-V sold these items at cost. Holly went to work purchasing all the medicine, filling the suitcase, dropping it off at Luda's house. Sophia, now down in South Carolina, gave Luda her parents' phone number in Ukraine, and incredibly, she knew where their church was in Lviv. And by God's grace, Luda was able to deliver this suitcase to them last Sunday. And this medicine was distributed to people who had to flee their homes. You can't see what's on the card there, but that card was inside the suitcase. This is what the card says. It's from Edgewood. Praying you'll be encouraged during this difficult time as you see God do mighty things. Behold, I am the Lord. Is anything too difficult for me from your friends at Edgewood? Here's what Oksana wrote. So I know I'm giving a lot of names. Oksana is Sophia's mom, lives in Ukraine. Yes, the suitcase arrived this morning. From all our hearts, we're so grateful for the kindness of you and your church family. We will give all the medicines to people in need. And you can see it's being distributed. Peter and I spent the whole day today bringing humanitarian aid from Poland to the families from the east. Please share with our dear brothers and sisters in Christ from the USA that they are not just helping, but get this, but giving a sense that we're not alone in our grief. All these people lost many things, but they gained more brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot even imagine, she writes, how grateful we all are. Then she asked for a prayer request. Our prayer request is for all the refugee families who are staying in our church building. This is a picture of Pastor Peter, and these are refugees that they are feeding. Get this, our church is very small, near 90 members, but we're trying to do all we can. There are 50 people that we feed daily. There are no, they have no place to go back because their homes are destroyed. They are our dear brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a mind blow. Besides this, this is this one church We have helped more than 1,500 refugees in our church. These are people who stayed several days and then left to different countries. In the beginning, people had to sleep on the floor of the main worship room. Here's a picture of that. But now our brothers from the church built bunk beds so we can host more people. Another prayer request is for our son, He is 20. He works as a welder in the railway department. Railways are one of the biggest targets for airstrikes. So I don't know what all that does to you. I don't know how God used his word today. But when you hear of Pastor Peter and Oksana's commitment to serve refugees, don't you want to rededicate yourself to God's purposes? Maybe you've drifted in your discipleship. Maybe you've grown cold, hard, bitter. Maybe you're just flat. Maybe it's been a while since your relationship with Christ has been been vibrant. 
Well, this is the day for you to rededicate yourself to Christ. Moms, dads, grandparents, it's time to intentionally live on mission with your children and your grandchildren. Because regardless of your role, it's time to rededicate yourself to God's redemptive purposes. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. Perhaps you feel like screaming. Or maybe you just feel kind of dead inside. It could be because you're not yet saved. Oh, would you repent of your sins? Turn to Jesus Christ who died in your place on the cross, paying the price for every one of your sins and who was buried and then was raised again on the third day, who's ascended into heaven, who's seated at the right hand of God, and who's coming again. If you've not yet received that free gift of salvation, would you cry out now and trust him by faith? Now, I want to speak to the believer now. wonder if the Spirit's prompting you to make today, not tomorrow, not next week, but right now, right here in this room, nobody knows but you and God, if you would rededicate yourself and tell him now that you're all in, that you're done with half-hearted, hypocritical, self-centered, angry, unforgiving, kind of living. You want to get back to Christ at the center of your life with him governing how you live, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend everything. That you would line yourself up underneath the sovereign and holy God of the universe, taking orders from him and him alone, because there is only one God. Oh, would you recommit yourself to revere God and do whatever it takes to take your next step in your relationship with him. That might be one of our growth groups. It might be next steps. It might be baptism. Whatever it is, do it. It matters for you, and it matters for the next generation and the next generation. God, you've heard all these individual prayers. I'm not sure how you do all that, but you are bending your ear now to listen. Lord, would, would you seal the decisions that were made here today? We offer ourselves to you individually and as a church for your purposes, and we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.